What's going on, Radius? Love it. Packed house. I like the back wall. Y'all like that? Good job, Benji. That thing looks good, man. You see how we're like kind of subtle about not letting you stand in the back and just hang out very long? We just like put a black wall up. And that, that's all the problem. So we, uh, if, you, if you haven't been with us much, we're working through the book of John. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's, it's working me over. I don't know how it's working with you, but it's working me over. And uh, we're going to just keep going. We'll go through the book as long as we can. And our plan is to go all the way through the summer in the book of John. And then in the new year, when school starts, we're going to do a little family series. We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about masculinity and femininity. We did that a couple years ago and had a lot of fun with it. We laughed a lot at each other um, through that process. We'll talk about being single, talk about being married. We'll talk a little bit about being a parent or a child. Um, it should be, a, should be a really fun series. So that, that'll be upcoming, but for, for the meantime, we're just going to roll. We're going to go through the book of John, and we're going to uh, learn from, from the life of Jesus. As you know uh, here, we, we kind of team teach this last week. Derek uh, delivered the mail, which was, which was really fun. It was fun for me to sit over there. Some people made fun of me because I, they didn't know I had rhythm. But to Derek preached with a little rhythm, I can, I can appreciate that. So um, it's fun being a team, and that's, that's kind of how we view this. Uh, in a few weeks, you'll get to hear from Benji, who is also one of the pastors here. And uh, you'll hear a little something different from him. There's a, a, a variety. I'll probably do 70, 80 percent of the of the speaking. But those two guys will be a part of this. And, and in reality, we're all a team. We have a variety of gifts. We have a variety of experiences. Uh, we have certainly a variety of personalities because I, I know a bunch of you. And when we put 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 our, all of us in the same room, it should cause us to grow toward Jesus. That's, that's the idea. So hearing from one person is not enough. So that's why we do small groups. If you haven't been a part of one, sitting in a circle, hanging out with some people, and actually hearing what they have to say about the Savior that they follow should sharpen you, should make you deeper with the Savior. It gives you some accountability. It's, uh, it's the design of the local church. So let's do this. Let's, uh, let's read a little of the book of John. Uh, I'll pray, and uh, we'll, we'll see what Jesus has to say to us from his word. Lord, uh, we love you. The crazy thing as I read this chapter is uh, how much you love us. So as I speak and uh, we, we get ready to have just such a huge celebration with a large number of folks that want to say publicly that you're their savior. Um, we're excited. You know us. <laughs> we're, we're simple, but we're excited when we see people give their lives over to you. So... Uh, be with them as they get ready. Be with their hearts as they get ready to be baptized. Um, but most importantly, we want to say right now, Father, we want you to get glory from our time together. We want you to look in on us and smile. We want When we sing and as people even listen to your word go out, we want their hearts uh, to enjoy you and for you to be pleased with how we respond. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Can't tell you how excited I've been about today. That just looking at the pool over there gets me, gets me excited already. So I'll try to stay focused, and we'll spend a little time in the book of John, and, and then we're going to have a little party in here, which is uh, something we've been looking forward to all week. So this is the book of John. We're in chapter 5. I don't know if you remember. We, uh, we, we started the book with a story 
uh, about a lame man that Jesus healed. Do you guys remember that? Jesus comes in. He, he finds this invalid. He's by a pool. And then in a dramatic fashion, heals him. He stands up and walks and he carries his mat. You remember? You remember what the problem was? What was the crime? Why did everybody get upset about this? He healed him on Saturday. Saturday. He healed him on Saturday, the Sabbath. And so what happened? The religious people got angry. And they, I don't know if you know many religious people. Religious people like to... They like to talk, and so they start talking to Jesus. They start talking behind his back, and there's just this uproar that, of all things, he healed somebody on the Sabbath. So then Jesus, from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, I don't know what y'all call it. At my house, we sometimes call it a vent. When we're being really nice, we call it a lecture because whether it's Cheryl or I, whatever happened in the house, all of a sudden we are full of words. And, and because generally of an offense by one of the younger folks in our home, there's this, this lecture. Uh, Cheryl probably has the edge on me. It gives a few more than I did. But, but if we want to be theological, we would call it a discourse. So kids, next time mom, you know, just say she's on a discourse. That would be a lot, lot, lot nice, nicer way to say it. So, so Jesus heals this guy. The Pharisees are mad. And they're starting to get into Jesus. And then Jesus flips the script on them. And I mean flips it. And he goes from them judging him to making it really clear that he's the judge. And that's often, as a parent, let me just say this. We got a right to do that, right? This is my home. We're raising these kids. So Cheryl and I have the right to give information to them, especially when it's the truth. And sometimes it comes a little charged because we're trying to lead this family. And in reality, what we're trying to do, we're loving them. I'm not sure that that's always our motivation. But for the most part, we're trying to keep this thing on track Because if it comes off track, it not only bothers us, but it curses our children. So we're saving them from themselves. Jesus is doing that right here. As the judge, he he lays out this lesson. And I'm going to spend most of our time in the last part of this. But I I want you to catch just a few verses in uh, between 19 and 30. Jesus starts off, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does... The son also does. Father and son are one. And he's just saying, look, I, in reality, he's saying I'm equal to the father. The father and son are one. I got married 26 years ago. I, yesterday we went to my parents' 50th and got to sit with my wife of 26 years. And, and we became one in that moment according to law and according to God. And we continue to attempt to be one. Thursday night, guess what? I did something. I'm still working out the details of the something, but I really hurt Cheryl's feelings. And so that oneness was compromised because of me. It's this, this moment where that oneness is compromised, and I don't remember. It was like a 10, 9-minute session that we had, and then we parted, and, and we did not restore oneness in that little, little short conversation. And I'm, let me just tell you, when you're one with somebody, it is miserable to not make that right. Some of y'all have lived that. Some of y'all have lived that for a lot longer than a few hours. Some of y'all have been living that for years because, because for some reason there's not enough humility to get back to the point where that one, but you know what that's like, right? When that oneness is broken, it's just a killer. It drives me crazy. I, I usually come back and apologize early and Cheryl rejects my apology because she knows just how bad I want the oneness and she's not really sure whether I've dealt with whatever I did yet. And so this oneness that we're talking about with God the Father and God the Son never has that moment because we're two flawed people 
We, we sin, and so we sin against each other. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they live in perfect harmony. It is never broken, and God the Son is listening to these rascals, accuse him of healing somebody on the Sabbath, and he said, let me make something real clear. I'm going to hold my hand up because Jesus is often, as he walks the earth, he seems like a common man, but all of a sudden he just says, let me make something real clear. I am one with the Father. The way the Father thinks is the way I think, and there it is. What y'all going to do with that? I'm the son of God. And by the end of this little discourse in the beginning, by the end of this little discourse, he's going to say that not only are I and the Father are one, but because the Father and I are one, I am the judge. Check this out. And I assure you that a time is coming, verse 25. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice and the voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live and the Father has life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to the Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again, and those who have done good will rise and experience eternal life. Those who have done evil will rise and experience judgment. I, I can do nothing on my own, I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. See, I don't know if you feel it. I read it quick. But I can remember the first time I felt it. That Jesus, this, this, this God man that I walk, see walking this earth, hanging out with common folks, is also the judge. And if he points that way, you go to hell. And if he points this way, you go to heaven. It's a little bit more complex than that as you read the New Testament. But in this particular passage, he's reminding these religious guys. He's like, you guys are standing in judgment on you, but I am the son of God. I control your eternal destiny. Everybody in the room ought to feel the weight of that. I can remember as a teenager when that kind of started connecting with me and this idea of eternal of, of things that are long are, are lasting forever started to sink into me i just felt this obligation to warn people right I had warned people that they they could be on their way to hell i remember as a i don't i was in this store and i met met somebody in there and i felt like i ought to tell them about jesus but i was really scared anybody else been in this position i had these three by five cards in my car Back then, you could drive in your 15. Can you, can you now? I think you still can. And I, I put out a three-by-five car. We didn't have Sharpies in the day. I had some marker in there, and I wrote something on it. And, and somewhere in that writing, I write in all caps, I told the person, whoever got this card, that they were going to hell. Do not repeat what I carried out in this moment. As a 15-year-old, I slipped it in on the front of a windshield, and evidently, somebody saw me do it, and they called my mom. I got to the house that night after work and uh, came in the house, and my mom is trembling. Some of y'all, some of y'all can imagine. I know Miss Liferidge can. Just, just imagine how my mom is feeling. My son is writing cuss words on a card and putting them on people's windows. So I'm talking about my life is on the line. <laughs> Come in. Mama said, can we, can we talk? No, uh, she didn't really say it that nice. She, but she said, can we talk? And so we went into a room, and she began to interrogate me about this card. And I said, Mama, I just, like, these people are going to hell. And she's like... Look, you can't just write that on a card and put it on somebody's car. Because that's just that's not appropriate. But I want you to hear as a 15-year-old, 
what I was wrestling with was right. How I executed was wrong. When all of eternity is on the line, somebody got to say something. Somebody got to say something. Probably ought not be scared. Probably ought not have to write it on a card. Jesus, with these, with these religious guys, he's reminding them that this thing's coming to a close. And at the end, even the dead are going to get up out of the grave. And they're going to come look me, the judge, eye to eye. And I'm going to point him this way or I'm going to point him that way. There's two judgments in the Bible and we don't really have time to go to all the verses. There's one called the great white throne. Let me tell you something. You don't want to be there. Because there's only one judgment passed at the great white throne. At the great white throne, the judge looks at everybody who comes before him because they have no advocate. There is nobody there to stand up for them. And he looks at you for who you are. And he just agrees with who you are, a sinner. And so he puts judgment on you based on who you are. And he points that way. And you're on your way to eternal destiny in hell. We could go through the descriptors. We could try to explain. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. This is like, like a, I just want you to feel the weight of that. But then there's this thing in 1 Corinthians that calls it the judgment seat of Christ. And it's this, it's this moment where Jesus sits on, the, and everybody there is, it's kind of like a party, right? There's this party work because you're with Jesus. He is the advocate. He's the judge, but he's also the lawyer. He controls the whole verdict. He's got the whole thing rigged because of the cross, we're going we're gonna to remember that in just a little bit with, with this, these baptisms. We're going to remember that he died so that we could have life. He's got the whole thing rigged, and everybody there is welcome into his kingdom. And he's going to look at everybody who comes up before him as judge, and he's going to welcome them into the kingdom. Let me, let me just say this, however. First Corinthians says at that judgment, you could suffer a loss. So like it's like this party, you're excited to be there, you're happy to be there, you get to go to heaven, but at the same time when you see Jesus and you see his greatness... And what he's really all about, because we can just barely see it now. Some of the older guys in the room, y'all can get testimony. You've been living a long time for him. And, and what I love about folks, as they, as they gain age with Jesus, they become more and more convinced of his greatness because they've just done a lot of time with him. And, and when you actually see him in all of his greatness, you're like, I should have, I should have, I should have served him more. I should have spent some more time with him. You feel that when you see Jesus as the judge and he's telling these guys, this thing's coming to a close. He's warning them. Both those who believe and those who don't, you're going to see Jesus as a judge. I am. We're all going to walk in there together. And we'll be accountable for how we've lived. To read this book and never talk about a day where we face Jesus, the judge, would be foolish for me to never warn you about the end would be worse than foolish. So let's read a few more. He comes in as the judge, and by verse 30, he makes this little transition. Let me read it to you. I can do nothing of my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me. Not my, not my own will. Verse 31. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. So you can imagine the judge sitting up here. It's Jesus. He slams the gavel. He looks out among everybody and he says, I can't give testimony to myself. I'm the judge. That wouldn't make any sense. Why? I, I'll be an invalid testimony. I can't give testimony before myself. 
And then he begins to call witnesses. And I want you to go on this ride with me as he calls witnesses. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need for human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Now, when I read this chapter, I feel Jesus a little hot. He's annoyed with some religious folks. I was sitting with Benji, and we were talking about this. And uh, when we got to this part, Benji goes, see, he loves them. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He wants to thump them in the forehead. He wants to leave a mark. And, Jesus, and Benji's like, no, he wants to thump them so that they'll believe, so that they'll be saved. And that's the truth. He's right on it. The, the, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these hard words so that you would believe, so that you could be saved. I don't, I don't want this for you. I want to save you. It says that John, John the Baptist, was like a burning and shining lamp, and you are excited for a while about his I love that. You were excited for a while about his message. Anybody been like that before? You heard a message, and you were excited for a while, like 30 minutes, until you got the chicken at lunch, right? I mean, it, it like, stuck with you for just a little. So it means it really didn't do anything. This means a little bit of emotion. You just felt good for a minute. He says to, the, to these religious, when John came, you were excited for a while. He says, so let me do this. Let me call John the Baptist in as a witness. I'll be the judge, and we'll make judgment. So if you can imagine John the Baptist coming in the back door, and he comes by the, the little baptismal pool. And I don't know how you picture John the Baptist. I picture him. He's got this, this, this camel clothes. I always figured it coming over one side, like, you know, you know these these, uh, uh, I don't even, like the caveman used to wear that. He's got this camel skin. It's over. He's got a little belt around him. And I don't know. I always pictured him with big calves and really hairy legs. I don't know. Some of y'all, a little burly, a little burly for the burly men in the room. You're like, yeah, I, I like me some John the Baptist. All right, John the Baptist coming in the room. He got that country boy smile on his face. He got a little smirk. And he looks at y'all like, y'all ain't nothing, right? You know how the country boy does when he comes in, whether he believes it or not. That's what he's doing. John the Baptist isn't scared of anybody. They read about him. People don't intimidate him whatsoever. He sees the religious guys. We won't, we won't have any. We'll pretend they're right up here on the front. He sees the religious guys, and he just gives them the little head shake because he's been tearing. It don't matter if the king or the president was sitting up here. John the Baptist was not phased. He told the truth to anybody. That's him. That's John the Baptist. He's coming in. He's walking up on the witness stand. But when he sees Jesus, he drops to his knees, and he begins to worship. And Jesus is saying, you, you religious guys? You remember the powerful prophet John the Baptist that wasn't scared of anybody? When he's in my presence, what's he doing? What's John the Baptist maybe muttering? I'm not worthy to help him with his sandals. I could not tie his shoes. I don't belong in his presence. And there's our first witness to the greatness of God. And Jesus says that he came in and he shined. John the Baptist shined when he walked this earth. Among the darkness, John the Baptist was this bright light talking about a baptism of repentance to prepare the way for the coming Savior. Are we doing a baptism of repentance today? No, sir. John the Baptist convicted folks of their need for a Savior, but today we're going to celebrate the fact that folks have a Savior. So when they go down in that water, it says if they were co-buried with Jesus, it, they, they, they co-crucified, co-buried, and when they come up, you can come give them a hug and get all wet because we're celebrating that they're alive like Jesus. But John the Baptist is like... That's what I came for. And Jesus says, let me call another witness. I'm the judge. Let me call another witness. Verse 37. 
and the Father. Uh, let me back it up to 36. But I have a greater witness than John. Just my teachings and my miracles. Look what they point to. He says, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they proved that he, they sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts. Can you feel the air coming out of the room? Because you do not believe me, the one who sent you. So I can imagine Jesus calling in the next witness, and he pulls up this big curtain. Jesus walks over to the wall, he pulls this curtain out, and he wraps it all the way around to him. He can kind of see back in here, but you can't because you know why? Because God the Father is coming up on stage to give testimony. What happens if you see God the Father? <laughs> right, it'll be quick. <laughs> You're going to be done. <laughs> you won't hear any more testimony. So Jesus pulls him up, and Jesus looks totally relaxed. He's the judge, and he's looking over the Father, and he's relaxed. But for you, we see around that curtain, there's like, I don't know. I'm just picturing what Steven Spielberg would do. There's, there's like lightning strikes coming on. There's all kind of noise, and then the Father speaks. What does the Father say? That's my son. We're one. That's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. We're one. And you can feel, I don't know, Spielberg would do it better than I could. The whole room would shake. You can feel the subwoofers in your, in your stereo system as God speaks. And you can, a whole room would go deathly quiet just be, not even being able to see God the Father. And God the Father says about Jesus, he is my son. What y'all got to say about that? It's, Jesus doesn't, uh, in his little court case, if we were going to do it ourselves, we'd say God the Father for last because that would be the punchline. But he puts us right before his father. And he says he gives testimony because we hang out face to face. We talk all the time. Read on. Verse uh, 39. You search the scriptures because you think you, it will give you eternal life. He speaks to the religious guys up on the front. Jesus is taking the mic. He's not giving it back. You search the scriptures because you think it gives you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, exclamation point. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive life. So he says, let me call another witness. And who comes in? The scriptures. I don't know. The scriptures got to be a nerd. All right. So all the nerds in the room, you got to feel this. This is great. I, this, this is like if you ever wanted to be a nerd, then, then here, here's the scriptures. He comes in. I don't know whatever you think a nerd looks like. He comes in. He might be a little socially awkward, might do a couple goofs, then might pick his nose while he's on stage. I don't know. But he looks out, and he looks out at the crowd, and he goes, everything in me points to him. Everything. Everything from cover to cover in this book points to him. Why would you worship me? Looking at the religious leaders. You guys have memorized the first five books, but he wrote this. Why would you worship me? There's certainly this place for us to spend a bunch of time, for y'all to spend a bunch of time in me. But the scriptures would say as his testimony to us, but my whole job was to point you to the Savior. So there's this uh, demand from the scriptures as he gives testimony that to, to you, especially guys in the room. Let me push you a little bit. Why don't you do any time in this? Because just like basic followership of Jesus is reading the scriptures not because we want to come in the room and be smart but because it points to Jesus we call it a quiet time back in back in my early years they called it a, just a time with God on a daily grind so that we could be pointed 
to Jesus, because I don't know about you, but my daily grind will get me off track. And I won't be pointed in that direction. 41 to 44, a little painful if we haven't had any pain yet. Jesus looks out to the religious folks and he says, your approval means nothing to me. Because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I've come to you in my Father's name and you've rejected me. Yet others come in their own name and you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. Feel that? Feel if Jesus were up here, because I can't do it. If Jesus were sitting in my seat, he would speak with love. But I think he could call out the ones of us in the room that his love was not in. What would he say of you? But he, he, he kind of frames why. And I just want to take a couple seconds to talk about it. He says, no wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. What's that mean? Listen to John Piper yesterday. John Piper entitled his message. He's teaching through this little part. It's the title, which is what stuck with me. He says, the love of human praise as the root of unbelief. That makes sense to you? The love, what people think about you can keep you from believing in the living God. They can dominate your mind. Anybody agree with that? We can be seduced and then addicted to human praise. Anybody like, like, like I, I put my hand up, wanting to hear what folks say about me. I want them to say something good. I can scroll on my thing when I put something just to see how many times I'm liked. It becomes this addiction to hope that somebody likes my life. And then my whole existence revolves around wanting people to acknowledge that something I did was great. Even if it be for God, just deep need to be approved by man. And so what he says about these religious guys, I keep putting them up here on the front so y'all won't feel too bad. But put them up on, he goes, look, that's all y'all about. You just care what you think about one another. You don't care what I think about you. I don't know if they heard them. I know you're hearing me, which is cool. Because when I really believe that, when I hear that, it brings uh, conviction and fear that my life sometimes gets steered by what you think about me as opposed to really asking him what he wants. Piper said this, I thought was really good. Faith by its nature gives all glory to God and expects none for itself. So in essence, Jesus died and he asked us to die. He asked us to die to ourselves, which means we serve. We serve more than we're served. It's supposed to come natural to his followers that we would, would take all that we have and lay it down for others. He says, faith by its nature gives all glory to God and expects none for itself. Powerful. So there's this expectation that if Jesus were to save us, that we would change, that we'd be transformed, that we'd be different. 
<laughs> I, I don't know about there is it, it, in the in the chapter before that he offers this living water, and if you take the living water, it's supposed to wash over your soul, and it's supposed to trend, not make you perfect. I, I know a bunch of y'all. None of us are perfect. I certainly am not. We're supposed to wash over our soul, and we're supposed to be transformed. You can't give that back. You can't test that, right? And give it back. Trade it in. You either is or you ain't. You, you either have been transformed or you have not. You either have believed or you have not. Today, we, we, we're going to do a baptism, and, and it's a moment where a bunch of folks are going to come up in front of you, and, and they're going to say they've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. They're going to make a statement by this thing that Jesus asked us to do in the Scriptures. Does that water do anything for them? Other than make a statement, it doesn't, it doesn't transform them. They had to choose in their heart to believe. And if in any way that's not true, then this means nothing. But the, the celebration is in the fact that we believe that it is true. And so we follow and we party because we know who we once were. Well, Jesus calls the last witness it's the last couple verses. I don't know how he comes in the door. It's Moses. So I have this picture of him coming in the door with the Ten Commandments up over his head because I, I watched the movie back in the day. If you missed it, you got to go back and watch Charleston Heston. But he comes, good-looking Moses, by the way. I don't, know, I don't really have an opinion on men. But anyway, this is a good-looking Moses comes in the door. He's got the Ten Commandments up on his head. He's looking down at the religious people, and he's up on this stage, and it's like he is ready to drop it on their heads. He's so annoyed with their knuckleheadness. Is that where he's just furious with how stubborn they are and he wants to take look god gave me all of this so that you would understand who that is listen listen to how the verses read they're really cool yeah yeah yet it isn't i who accuse you before the father you imagine jesus up as the judge he says i'm the judge but remember in john 3 he says i came into the world not to condemn the world he says that moses will accuse you the, the Old Testament, the five books that you know so well, they'll accuse Yes, Moses, in whom you put all your hopes. If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So he says, look, all the stuff you've been reading all these days. And he asked Moses a question. What was all that about? He goes, I had all that written down to point to you, to the coming Savior. So everybody would know they needed a Savior. And he closes the case. And he asks us all, those of us that have been knowing Jesus for a long time and those that do not, who does your life point to? Let's go back through the witnesses before we do the baptism. Witness number one, John the Baptist. Remember him coming in the room? Remember him coming in with that country boy smile and looking a little proud? But now he knows that you're a believer. If you know Jesus, you're about to get baptized or you've been baptized and you believe in Jesus. John the Baptist comes in the door. You know how he comes in? He bypasses the stage and he comes in and all of his nastiness, because he ain't took a bath in like five years, and he wants a hug. Because he's with you. He pointed to the Savior. He did this baptism of repentance, and he wanted you to believe, and you believed, and he comes in the door, and you're like, bro, could you take a bath first? But Jesus, then he comes up, and I just imagine him getting, he's a burly guy, right? Burly guys love to get some hugs. Big hug and the celebration of the Savior, right? The Scripture guy, the guy that, you know, made 15 
20 on SAT, he comes up on the stage and he's probably looking a little nerdy. It might be a little socially awkward, but when he comes in the door and he knows that you believe, he acknowledges you. He comes out to you and maybe you always wanted to be that guy who knew something. He's like, you got it. You may not know the Hebrew and Greek. You may barely know John 3.16, but because you believed in the judge, in the living Savior, he comes in and he wants, I imagine the nerd being a little skinny like me, he wants a hug. He, he comes in, he wants, a, he wants to come celebrate with you the Savior. It change, see how it changes everything when you believe? When, when all of a sudden we go from the judge sitting up here in all of his glory to understanding that he is also the Savior. We, the bread and juice we've got tucked back in the back, I think, because we've got so many people in the room and, and, and the baptism is up here. But it's just this, this moment where we realize that Jesus' body was broken so he could advocate for us in the courtroom. God the Father comes in. <laughs> he got this big curtain in front of him so nobody will be afraid. And for those of you that know him, I just imagine his big, strong hands taking that curtain like he did in the New Testament. He rips it. And when you look in, you see the Father sitting on a throne, glowing in all of his majesty. But all of a sudden, the Father's countenance is not like thunder and lightning and power, but instead it's this Father reaching out for your hand and inviting you up to sit with him on his knee. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' broken body. Because of the advocate in the courtroom. Because you believed. He wants relationship. Cheryl had a picture of my son when he was little, but we call him Chunk because he was just chubby as, and had a picture of him on my, man, it was just moving for me to see my boy on my lap. His fat little face up on my chest and me holding him tight with the father he wants i don't know how you came in this room today i don't know what your week was like or where you've been but that's what he wants and if you can imagine him on on his throne right now he's inviting you to it so you can sit there as a son and he can enjoy he wants to enjoy you and he wants you to enjoy him he wants you to feel safe and secure despite your life and maybe uh most of all the judge steps down off the podium up here because of what he did on the cross. I don't know how you imagine a judge. I, I don't necessarily think courtroom a lot of times. When I think of history, I think of a king coming into a town on a horse that's just ripped. Horse, the horse is ripped. The king is ripped. And he's got on all this armor. He's got this Braveheart sword on the back sticking up behind his head. And you're like, that joke is bad to the bone. And when he comes down the street, everybody is like, fearful because of his power and you see people drop into their knees as king jesus comes in as the judge and he rolls down the street and here i am on the front and my head's down like it's supposed to be if you're a kid you might pink up at him just a little bit but your head's down in utter worship of his power the king but then he just gets up off his horse because of the cross and he picks me up off the ground and he plays with my hair. That's my dad used to do. He plays with my hair. And, and like an older brother pulls you in and puts you in the headlock. And he, and he says, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. It changes everything. So we, We're going to celebrate a baptism. We're going to watch people in front of you identify themselves with Jesus because everything has changed when you believe in Jesus. The scripture says we're transformed. John writes this not only to those that don't know Jesus. He says, I write this book that 
all may believe, but even for those who have already believed, that you would continue believing. So here in a second, I'm going to pray, and the guys are going to walk some folks up here, and they want to give testimony with their life that they love Jesus, and Jesus is a transformer. Here's what I'd like for you to wrestle with. As you watch them make that commitment, for those of y'all who have known Jesus for a long time, pray for him. Pray for him, because this thing doesn't get easier, right? When you believe, there's not like this easy card handed out. Matter of fact, sometimes stuff gets harder. So pray for him. And for all of us in the room that watch them go down into the water and come back up, remember that that was your story if you've believed. And so ask this question, why am I not sitting on the Father's lap? When he made the way, and remember when he made the way, and remember how you were then, why am I not spending some time with the scriptures so that it would point me to Jesus? And make a dedication in your heart. If you haven't met him, I hope you watch your friends or for whatever reason you're here, and I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just convict you, and you'd see a need for a Savior, and you believe for the very first time. But we... we we're not going to uh, play a song for an hour and try to not talk you into it. I'm not going to take my watch off and on and try to. It, you have to decide. Or it's just belief, belief is a hard exercise. It's not something we can manipulate. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the guys up. And uh, we're going to have some fun here for a little bit. Hope you enjoy. Father, there will be no greater testimony to who you are than these next few moments. And so we pray that you would breathe life into our room, that you would give uh, some of my friends courage as they stand in front of their peers and uh, they get in this water and they, they take this step of obedience because they love you, because they want to please you, and because they want to uh, show their friends and they really want to show this world that their identity has moved that they, they don't want their life anymore to be just centered around themselves and what they want, but they want to put themselves in submission to you, and they want to make you the center of their lives. Uh, we trust you with these minutes. A few of them will have a few words to say. Give them the freedom to say them. Help us hear them. Speak to our hearts as we get to watch this exercise. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.